MuggleCast, no Potter Plimpies allowed. March 19th, 2006, episode 31. Good AA hosting plans are now more powerful than ever. Best of all, plans start at just $3.95 per month. And no matter what plan you choose, your site receives 24-7 maintenance and protection in the GoDaddy.com world-class data center. I recommend you use them for your upcoming website or podcast. Because as a MuggleCast listener, enter the code MUGGLE, that's M-U-G-G-L-E, when you check out and save an additional 10% on any order. Get your piece of the internet today at GoDaddy.com. And don't forget, go to MuggleCast.com to purchase your very own MuggleCast t-shirts. Just click on store at the top. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am Andrew Sims. I am Eric Skull. I am Laura Thompson. And I'm Micah Tannenbaum. And this is the show where we bring you the latest in Harry Potter news, theories, discussion, and oh so much more. Before we go anywhere else, first let's check in with Micah for the past week's top Harry Potter news stories. At the Sony Ericsson Empire Awards in London Monday, the Harry Potter movies were honored with the Empire Outstanding Contribution Award. Dan Radcliffe accepted the award, and Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, and David Heyman were also present. In an interview with Empire, Dan, Rupert, and David discussed Order of the Phoenix filming. Dan had this to say about David Yates. The new director's fantastic. I've never been quite this pushed before, so regularly. He's really pushing Harry's emotional and psychological journey, but he also seems to have an incredible eye for sets and shoots and things. Heyman also addressed how they will be shooting until the middle of May before taking a two-month break for exams and then start filming again from July till roughly October or November. Additionally, individual scenes with Rob and the centaurs have begun taping, which requires a lot of blue-screen acting. In a BBC One interview, Dan discussed his first kissing scene, saying, It'll be odd because one of my parents will be on set. It will be embarrassing, but hopefully I'll work past that and be utterly professional. But I'll probably keep screwing it up so that I can keep doing it. boy. Blackwell, the knowledge retailer, has donated a first edition UK copy of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, signed by several Goblet of Fire cast members, to the National Literacy Trust. Trust Children's Literacy Initiative, Reading is Fundamental, UK, motivates children in deprivation to develop an interest in reading and donates three books to over 20,000 children annually. The book is being auctioned until March 21st, which is this Tuesday, on eBay. Friday night, J.K. Rowling hosted a Venetian-style masquerade ball at Stirling Castle in Scotland. An AP report states that over £200,000 was raised for the Multiple Sclerosis Society of Scotland, for which the ball was held. You can check out pictures of Joe from the event over on MuggleNet.com. To promote the UK release of the Goblet of Fire DVD, which was released tomorrow, March 20th, Katie Lung, Clemens Posey, Robert Pattinson, and Stanislav Vianevsky, Joe Fleur, Cedric, and Crum have appeared on several British morning shows over the past week. So far, they've done interviews on E4 and ITV's This Morning. Next Saturday, March 25th, the cast will make an appearance on Holly and Steven's Saturday Showdown, which starts at 9.25 a.m. on ITV. And it is being reported that Crum has said more than two sentences. That's all the news for this March 19, 2006 edition of MuggleCast. Back to the show. Alright, thank you, Micah. Well, as, as I've been overly promoting for the past uh, two or three shows now, actually, it's only really been Muggle one MuggleCast version two. We are starting, yeah, we are starting this week uh, a couple new segments for the show that are going to keep it live and fresh and new. And so far, you know, we're about three minutes in the show, and already you're thinking, what the? There's nothing new already. The best is yet to come. That's all going to change. All all going to change. From this this point forward, nothing nothing is old from now on. (laughs) Nothing is old. That's right. We're now going to be talking in backwards English, among several other things. (laughs) 
And, and don't forget, MuggleCast t-shirts are available at MuggleCast.com. Just click on store at the top. Uh, Eric Eric has stated a few very important reasons why you must buy one of these t-shirts, right, Eric? Uh, yes, that's correct. Episode 29. Can you give us another one, though? I don't think people are completely convinced. Okay. Um, Tootsie Rolls, right? Okay. Tootsie Rolls. I'm, I'm, I'm staring at... Uh, a, a tube of Tootsie Rolls, and I'm thinking, gee, you know, who manufactures Tootsie Rolls? Yeah. Now, now, you know, you never know who – it's not it's not the Hershey's company. It can't be because I'm looking at this tube, and nowhere does it say Hershey's Tootsie Rolls, right? Y- you follow? Um. Okay. No. So – no, okay. Be quiet, Micah. All right. So now – you think Tootsie Rolls? Because everybody, I say so much. No, everybody knows what 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 Tootsie Roll is. Everybody's had a Tootsie Roll, you know. And if they haven't, they're going to have a Tootsie Roll. So I'm thinking, I'm sitting here looking at this this whole tube of what used to be Tootsie Rolls. I actually ate them all, and I'm thinking, who manufactured these? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what company owns Tootsie Roll unless you work for that company. I'm thinking, but they sold millions. I mean, how many Tootsie Rolls have you sold? Or have you bought in your life? That's a lot of Tootsie Rolls. So, <laughs> so, so your, no, the point. So, what's your so point? the point is, Andrew and Micah and Laura and viewers at home, that you don't know who manufactures Tootsie Rolls, yet you buy them anyway. And, and, and in the case of MogoCast t-shirts, you know who manufactures them. You know that you're going to get your money's worth from MogoCast. You know exactly who that money is going to and why it's going to them. And you can support the show by buying this just like you support Tootsie Roll manufacturers like the CEO of Tootsie Roll the CEO of Tootsie is sitting there on a desk chair and he's not doing anything for Harry Potter fans but we are and that's why you should buy a MuggleCast t-shirt wow that was inspiring long lengthy and and inspiring hey hey Andrew Andrew, Andrew, full of Tootsie Roll plugs yeah (laughs) and by the way when you go to the podcast live in Las Vegas you want to be all dressed up in MuggleCast apparel, so. That's right. Hey, before we go any further, uh, I think Ben wants to join us. Uh, ben, what 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 happened? Why aren't you? Uh, why weren't you here for the beginning? Well, it turns out that I readjusted my schedule, oh. and, and so I, I'll probably be able to stay here. Ben now has TiVo. Probably. Ben, ben <laughs> now has TiVo, so he can record <laughs> yeah. Barney and watch it later. All right, now starting with episode 32, this will be the part of the show where listeners will be able to email in their thoughts about things that we've said last week. So, for example, this week we're going to be talking about chapters 1 through 3 of Sorcerer's Stone. You guys can email in what uh, your thoughts were uh, about our thoughts. So after listening to the show this week, send in your emails to mugglecast at staff.mugglenet.com. And please put in the subject line, listener rebuttal, to give your feedback uh, on what we've said. And then we will read them on next week's show during this part of MuggleCast. Now it's time for what I've been calling the pinnacle of the new version of MuggleCast. Chapter by chapter, where we go through every single little chapter of the Harry Potter series. And by the time book seven comes around, by the time book seven comes around, we hope to be done and like finish the last all chapter right, of book right. six. We can't promise that we're going to... Yeah, it would be nice to... but. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to talk about this a little bit here quick. Uh, all right. This chapter-by-chapter chapter thing is something that I know a lot of people are looking forward to, me especially. I'm trying to, to figure out how it's going to be doing working with Andrew and Ben and everybody on 
working this out. But basically, we're going to, as Ben so boldly put it, we're going to read every chapter and go through. But it's much more exciting than that. What we're going to do, the Mugglecasters, we're going to have to go through each chapter. Well, we'll put a few chapters per episode. And we're going to actually talk about pretty much anything we can think about. We've been taking notes as we read and point it out to the show for discussion. Now, the point of this, we do, we do, we do, we do, we do, we do, we do want the listeners to read with us, to read along with us at a a slow weekly pace, a few chapters a week, maybe about another hour, hour and a half's time, more than you put into the show during the week, and read along with us. Now, the point of this whole thing is so that we can get a better and clearer idea of just what has happened, to, to relive the books as we're going along and understand and and create viewpoints and and theories that we have never been heard of before because nobody's done this isn't that right andrew no nobody's done this kind of all out you know fan wide it is it is unprecedented unprecedented and what i really like about it is that we're going to be on the same page with everyone else literally Ah, uh, you said it. Really. You said. Moving <laughs> <laughs> on, just just a, bit, a little bit of information about the book. Starts off, Mister Dursley notices strange things happening on his way to work one day. Then at night, Albus Dumbledore, the head of wizardry at some place called Hogwarts, meets up with Professor McGonagall, who can turn into a cat. So it's already starting off kind of weird. And then Dumbledore tells. McGonagall, that someone named Voldemort, or you-know-who, has killed a Mr. and Mrs. Potter. And then they tried to kill Harry, or the son, and he was unsuccessful. And so, like, the whole, this whole community is wowed that a baby was able to stop this evil, dark wizard, which we're not really quite sure about yet. We know some things are happening because of some of the magic that's going on. And then a big giant named Hagrid shows up on, shows up on Privet Drive with a with a basket and a baby and they leave they leave Harry, young Harry, at the, the doorstep of the Dursleys with a letter explaining what what happened. And then ten years later is where it all begins. Okay. Um Ben that I underestimated you. That that actually wasn't complete think? crap. That was very good. You did a pretty good job there. Sorcerer's Stone is pretty much is is the beginning of the end per se, where it all start you know it all starts off with Sorcerer's Stone, and we, we this is where we start we start find we probably find out the most information in the Sorcerer's Stone, just about Harry's life and stuff like that, and then we find out that Harry was really been deceived all his life that his mother was never really in it his parents never really were in a car crash, that they were killed by this wizard, and we also see the. The Dursley's last attempt to shield Harry from the magical world, because Rowling uses some foreshadowing, and when when she talks about how Harry used to get punished for things he would do at home, for things he would do at school, where one time a group of bullies was chasing him, and he just appeared on the roof of the schoolhouse, and so use a lot of use a lot of foreshadowing to demonstrate that the magic is actually going that something's up with this kid, and I don't know, I really enjoyed it, I really enjoyed Sorcerer's Stone. That's just a brief overview. Well, so let's start with chapter one. Here. Let's you know what everybody let let's just let's just take focus here on on the first sentence 
of Harry Potter. And, you know, people may say, oh, my God, we're going to be here forever. It's the first sentence. But I, I think the first sentence of the Harry Potter book is 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 very, very intriguing. The, the very it, – it means a lot, e- even today. It's a great hook. Uh, the first sentence reads, Mr. and Mrs. Vernon Dursley of Number 4 Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. Based on that sentence, what would you – Say, knowing what happens with the Dursleys, all these rumors that uh, Petunia might be, you know, a squib or a witch hiding it or something like that. What do you think that means? That they're perfectly normal and they're they're proud to say it. I think it means that it shows that they're basically, they think they're morally and socially superior to those. And they're in denial. Ooh. Well, we don't know they're in denial yet. Oh, I think you. You always have those people, the snotty neighbors or or the evil teacher who just always has this facade of perfection and you just know that everything's not perfect in their life and they're just putting on this mask to try and cover up the fact that they just have something that they don't want anyone to know. They dread anyone knowing about this secret. Facade of perfection? I love that term. Well, you know, we all have our skeletons in our closets. Proud to say that they're perfectly normal. Thank you very much. That to that to me means, means the, most. the most, right? Because it's the part that makes them look very obnoxious. It's thank you very the much. Snobby line. And yeah. you better not question it. No, no, it's not, no. It's more. It's we're proud to say that we're we're perfectly normal. Thank you very yeah, much. I, I get know? what you mean, I guys. Like I think that. that's cool. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I also think it's really interesting. I thought. I read it as if it's stated matter-of-factly with J.K.R. I mean, as you guys were reading the first three chapters, you know, J.K.R. really includes a lot of her own storytelling narration humor that really isn't as present at all, especially in the later books. Um, but but story t- storytelling, yeah. matter-of-fact, yeah. you know, interactivity with, you know, it, while she's talking about Harry, she's being more, much more... Vocal. She uses the the uh, pronoun "you" quite a few times and actually talks to the reader. Yeah, you know what? I noticed that too. And right now, I'm trying to find the sentence that says "our story begins" because that really stood out. Well, the to thing me. that I find interesting about *Sorcerer's Stone* is it's the book that has the most narration outside of Harry's point of view. Yeah, and why is that? Is that just because she's trying to set it all up? Well, mm-hmm. th- of you course. Know, yeah, Harry is Why else Harry's would you do it? very young. And it's good time. because like you like you and Ben were saying earlier, you kinda get that outsider's point of view that the Dursleys have and you that she's trying to show the impression that Harry's mere existence has on people. Right, and guys, the way this is going, we have so much to talk about just with one sentence. So I think after we do the chapter by chapter which <laughs> is sentence by sentence analysis <laughs> of the entire of the entire series. When Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on the dull gray Tuesday, our story starts. Oh, I see it. There was it. nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest that strange and mysterious things. I'm the, I, seriously, I'm the next Jim Dale. <laughs> I can see it already. When Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on the dull gray... I'm sorry. Yeah, and that sentence really stood out to me because I haven't read the entire book since like, before NOM practically. <laughs> so when I read that, I was like, whoa, this could be just writing. <laughs> Now, wait a minute, guys. It says, when Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on the dull gray Tuesday, our story starts. Now, this is the day where Vernon goes to work, and, you know, all that stuff happens, and they find out that the night before, or whatever, you know, that this great evil wizard fell. Now, 
Why do you think JKR chose to start on this Dogre Tuesday? I mean, if you think about it, any kind of any backstory that we find out about that any any story, any retelling of any event that occurred before this night is actually backstory because she started it on this particular day. And I'm not saying it's overly significant or overly overly, you know, overly. I I quit. <laughs> Eric, I think it's just that. It's just a Tuesday. It's your average normal day. There's nothing special about it. And that's what I think Joe was trying to show, is that there's nothing special. It's just your average, typical day. Except for all this weird stuff going on. But yeah, no, that that was going back to what we said about JKR as well, being more into, you know, more more personal with the fans, just to start the story and establish everything. Now, it's interesting, because... He's starting to think about this nephew he has, you know, and, and his, his wife, Mrs. Dursley's sister, and her husband, good-for-nothing husband, it actually said, which is also probably another personality thing, um, you know, who have this kid, and they might behave strangely. He, you know, he relates, it to, he relates it to the Potters, and then he actually hears somebody talking about the Potters, and he's thinking, you know, what? And so... Mr. Dursley stops dead. Just as coincidence, though. He reassures himself it's a coincidence yeah, again. right, exactly. So now, it says right here, okay, uh, there was no point in worrying Mrs. Dursley because she always got so upset at any, at any mention of her sister. Now, Vernon Dursley didn't blame her if he'd had a sister like that, but then it cuts off. It's, it's the classic J.K.R. cutoff moment. If he had a sister like that, you know, but at the same time, those people in close. So... I mean, that's that's something, too. Now, Vernon seems to be very well educated at what type of person or, or people um, his in-laws are. Don't you guys think so? I mean, rereading this, it really gave me an idea that Vernon is pretty much tuned in to everything that Harry later on has to tell him over and over and over again because he's trying to deny it all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, this is the way he is throughout the entire series. He's always in denial because he never wants to believe any of it. He He just wants to get it out of his life. Now, one question I had was, why were they so careless when it came to walking about in public with their cloaks still on? Was it just because there was nothing to worry about now that they could go out in public and, like, say Voldemort wouldn't see him because he's dead now? Well, th- that makes the most sense. I mean, the one of the darkest wizards of the time, they believe his reign is over. So, you know, they, they sort of want to flaunt it. I don't understand why they'd be... So careless, though I don't get, quite get that. But. Yeah, that, well, that's what they normally wear. That's what they normally wear too. You got to imagine that. I mean, it's just like I don't. You know, they're particularly flooding the Muggle streets, and that's interesting. But at the same time, I think it just is carelessness, and the fact that they're just really, really happy, and you know, they're they're hanging around and talking excitedly. It is really careless for them to be out in front of all these Muggles. But at the same time, you know, the owls and the shooting stars are so much worse. That it's like, you know, everybody's celebrating, yeah, but at the same time, you know, it's not like they put on cloaks just to go tell, you know, I don't even think they're intending on showing the muggles. They are just really happy, and they were, I mean, as Dumbledore later says also, they had very little to celebrate for past 11 years or whatever. Couldn't she have just written the dressing up off as like a post-Halloween celebration if she really wanted to? Um, it's interesting, because even though we know this is Halloween... Because it doesn't Voldemort fall yes, on Halloween. Yes, but we didn't know that, and it doesn't say that in the book. Well, I don't get it. Why Why should they be able to wear them just because it's 
just after yeah. Halloween. Yeah, well, no, Mike is right. Technically, this is like either the day after Halloween or the next day. And, you know, we don't know that, and that's not said in this book. The only thing that's said in reference to the date this early on is that next week is bonfire night, which is said on the news back at home while um, the small cat is watching. Everyone's kind of under this mentality that the darkest wizard of all time has just fallen. What are a bunch of muggles going to do to us, you know? Yeah, I mean, everybody feels invincible, and, and they've had... Very little to celebrate. They just go out in their cloaks, not to tell the world about them, but just to just to be there. And they're sending owls in broad daylight, that kind of thing. They don't really feel the need to be careful about anything because they've forgotten what it's like just to be careful about being seen by muggles. Like, it's interesting because if we're seeing in the second war, you know, that muggles are almost finding out about the wizards, it, it's, it makes sense that they would have before. I mean, 11 years is a really big slump for Voldemort's reign. And if he didn't try to take over the muggle world, then that shocks me. Yeah, I, I think they felt safe for the first time in a long time, and they were willing to jeopardize it just a little mm -hmm. bit. So Vernon goes to work with his back to the, to the uh, window, the big gigantic window. He yells at five people. He has a normal day. He yells some more, goes to the bakery, right, knocks into some guy who calls him a muggle. What's a muggle? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. So he goes back, and, you know, he's hearing all these things, and he just can't wait to get home. So he hurries back to his car, and he sets off, hoping he was imagining things, which, as it brilliantly says, he had never hoped before because he didn't approve of imagination. So here's Vernon, and all this weird stuff is happening. He doesn't know what's going on, but he has this strange gut feeling that it's coming back to him, and that it's all going to, you know, come back to them. And then he starts hearing people talk about the Potters. Yes, he does hear mention about the Potters. I did not say that specifically, but he does hear that their son named Harry did, you know, did something. And that's when he really starts to worry. Yeah, because, I mean, it does say, you know, he's not even sure Harry's name is Harry and stuff like that, but he's really thinking. Yeah, he tries to play it exactly, off. Exactly, like Ben said. He's, he's really trying to play this off. So now he gets, let's change the pace just a little bit here. He gets home and finds that Dudley has learned a new word. Now, this, I think, is probably one of the first big differences between the U.K. and the U.S. book, because yeah. in the U.K. book, the word he learns is shun. In ours, he says don't. No, won't. Yeah, it's won't. he says won't in the U.S. edition. But in the U.K., it's shunt. And it's interesting, because I think that won't is actually a more characterizing kind of first word to learn, or, or new word to learn. Won't is stating that you will not do something, and shan't, I mean, it's kind of sissy. It's saying, shall not. I, You know, this little kid... Well, no, the, I think the only reason Joe did that is because... Because of the idiomatic differences in the language. Oh, it wasn't even that. It was it was their editors, not the not Joe. Well, no, she had no, I, she, it was yeah, she, she had very yeah. little, you know, control over it. It's just interesting. Um, she wrote it as Sean, and I, I think actually, you know, the UK book was written before the US one was translated and all this stuff. So it's interesting that it's Sean because won't is actually, I think, more appropriate for Dudley that he actually won't do something. I shall not do this. Yeah, you know, I shall not take a nap. 
But maybe it just means something different. Maybe I'm being very offensive right now. Maybe Sean is the equivalent to Bone. I just find it funny that the American terminology has a more direct, you know, more more direct term for uh, classifying a rude little child from hell, uh, you know, than the UK dialect. I, I... No, the, the, Erica, you fail to understand that even though Joe wrote the word shant or whatever, that's irrelevant because they translate it just to uh, so Americans don't think shant. What's up well, with that? Right. Just like they wouldn't put a biscuit <laughs> instead of a, they they put a, a cookie. cookie. No, I I, I, I I think I think we're on this. Same page here. Hope no, we, we are. are. We, hope we are. I'm sense. just saying. I think "won't" is funny because I know that the U.S. book came afterwards, and "won't" is actually, I think, a, a funnier, a funnier word for him to have learned. And you know, it, it works better to tell the story for us. For the, I don't. Know. Well, sadly, I think that I think that a lot of the um, the changes in this book and just the title, changing it from philosopher to sorcerers, I think they were doing a lot to Americanize it that way when American children read it they wouldn't be confused which I think is very wrong because I think that children are smart enough to pick up on the fact that it's a different culture and they will use different I don't know. words Th- this early on I-, I like that they've at least made more allowances lately like with the later books they've definitely not changed a lot yes. and you-, you can practically smell the Britishness you know and you open up the book and it's just like woo you know woof of British air it smells like Jamie's but, house yeah pretty much yeah, it does. It does make things. <laughs> so, anyway, so moving on. Vernon Vernon sits down at the news, and he hears about the shooting stars in Kent. Now, guys, this is a complete jump ahead to book five. But if you guys notice, the news anchor, his name is Ted, and when he's talking about the shooting stars, it says he allows himself a grin. Now, would you assume that this Ted knew a little bit more about the shooting stars than he was letting on? He seems like a guy who's, like, really happy to be reporting that there's shooting stars. I, I don't know. Maybe. I'm thinking he's, I'm think, I'm thinking he's Ted Tonks. Oh, Ted Tonks, you know, is a muggle. No, actually, I'd never thought about that. And um, I also think it's possible. We do know that certain people in the muggle world do know about... Uh, the magical world, like we know the Prime Minister knows. So it's entirely possible that certain people are enlightened. But I think that's a really cool tie. I never thought about that I before. thought it would be really cool if she introduced. But yeah, he's like, uh, experts are unable to explain why the owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. And then the news reader allowed himself a grin. Most mysterious. It's like, ooh, most mysterious. It's very funny. But... Now over to Jim McGuffin with the weather. Well, I think it could be one of those things where, like, on real television, uh, newscasters, when they're reading a story that they find really stupid, they just start laughing. I think that might be the same case Which is with great, him. which is why it's so normal and you wouldn't expect... But knowing that Nymphony... Well, right, but no, knowing that Thomas's father's name is Ted, I thought that was pretty funny and that might have been an interesting... It's like, it's possible. It's one of the things we may, we never find out about, but, you know. Yeah, and it's something that she would definitely right. do. She would put it in the very beginning of the series, knowing full well that you'd forget about it and not really tie it in until some later point. But then again, yeah. think about think about Mark Evans. How we thought. Oh that God, don't know. You don't, exactly. don't, don't mention that. Don't mention that. that's five. Books <laughs> that's now. why we have to be cautious about those red herrings. Um, 
So, you know, Vernon hears all this crap on the news about everything going haywire, and he finally musters up the courage to ask Petunia if she's heard about her sister. She says no. He leaves it at that, and he goes to bed, but he can't sleep very well. And outside, he looks. The small cat is still there. The the cat is still there, outside, watching him. And then midnight comes. And a man appears on the corner. And he walks. Well, first of all, he takes out a cigarette lighter type thing and takes out all the street lights, which makes it the thing we saw in the movie. And This is where the movie starts. Yeah, when I was reading uh, a couple of these quotes, they reminded me of the movie because they're direct out of the book, uh, which I thought is always pretty cool when you can yeah, relate back to it. Yeah, I know what you it. mean. I mean, that's... So... Yeah, and then... Um, and then McGonagall rips on Dumbledore. Uh, Dumbledore says... She rips on him? Yeah, on, uh, Dumbledore says on page 9, My dear professor, says Dumbledore, I've never seen a cat sit so stiffly. And then McGonagall goes, Girl, you be stiff. You be sitting on brick wall all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Which sort of directly ties to the whole lost day thing. I mean, when you think about it, how long would it take for Hagrid to fly from Godric's Hollow to Privet Drive? It certainly wouldn't take him 24 hours. And he's talking about how he pulled Harry from the rubble wait, before wait, the muggles started swarming around. What? I have that written down okay. about the muggles. And I was thinking, what are muggles doing in Godric's Hollow? But we got to talk about that later. <laughs> Hang on. Okay, so... When Dumbledore first appears, it says nothing like this man had ever been seen before on Privet Drive. That ties into the, the, the missing day, too, because it states that he had not set foot on there before. So he probably, I think we can deduce that he put most of the protection on Privet Drive after that night. If, if nothing had been seen, you know, like him. Yes. I think that's just a general ob- observation that we can make. Now... The question is, he sits down and he tells McGonagall that he must have passed a dozen feasts on his way there. But, you know, if Dumbledore apparated there, how would he have passed a dozen feasts? Or is it an expression? Is he saying, you know, yo girl, you need to get out more, yo, you know, to McGonagall? Or is he just, you know, it it struck me as odd. He passed a dozen feasts on his way, but if you apparate, don't you go directly to that place? And what does he mean by that? I don't think that's, I I don't think that's what he meant. I think he was just referencing the celebration really sort of bringing the topic of conversation around to all of the parties and the shooting stars and but why is she there though i mean is it just for protection is she just kind of watching over the house i mean do we ever get a real reason why she's there i thought it was exactly that i thought it was just to watch over the house i thought it said that in the books yeah but it doesn't really say Definitively, does she's it? She's there. She's there on her own will. Actually, nobody told her to go there. She had to beat it out of Hagrid to find out where he was going, which is interesting. Now, I get the impression w- during Dumbledore's relation to uh, McGonagall that McGonagall does not know about the prophecy. This is jumping ahead just a little bit, but she does say that. Um, let's see. It's on page fifteen in the UK version. Okay, well, here, you know, she's all, she's questioning Dumbledore about how the little boy, you know, all the people he's killed, he couldn't kill a little boy. It's just astounding of all the things that stop him, how the name of heaven could Harry survive. Clearly, she doesn't know about the prophecy. And I think it's interesting because Harry didn't tell her 
what happened with Dumbledore at the end of book six. And, you know, I don't think Dumbledore told her about the, you know, if, if she knew about the prophecy, she would clearly know at least that, it, you know, she wouldn't be so shocked that Harry survived or that something weird happened at all. I think it's another instance where Dumbledore, headmaster of Hogwarts, hasn't even told his headmistress some key element of something. And I think it's interesting to see Dumbledore hide stuff from Harry and then also hide stuff from teachers, too. I don't think she knows all that much throughout the series. I mean, I don't think she gets a lot of information. I think Dumbledore is very selective in terms of who he trusts with information. And it might not necessarily be because he thinks that she's going to slip up, but just because... He thinks that she doesn't need to know the information. And also, I mean, with things like the prophecy and the the myriad of other th- things that Dumbledore, you know, shares with Harry, the less people you tell, the less risk you have. It's just, it's the same way with when you tell your friends a secret. You tell all of your friends something and suddenly the whole school knows. It's like, how am I going to know who slipped? Well, right. I mean, I, I think he would definitely have to, I don't. I don't even know if it's a trust issue, though. It's just the way Dumbledore operates, I think. Well, I mean, like, for instance, whenever I was doing this, I sort of picked up on things that I thought kind of stuck out, and I was thinking about the Lost Day, and also um, McGonagall's and Dumbledore's relationship. It just goes to show that I think we were right in assuming that they weren't as close in the beginning of the series, and I think Harry was the reason that they got closer, and they started working together more. That would be another testament to what Ben and Andrew were saying about how the world changes around Harry. I think that's really cool. Um, exactly. Speaking of this, a fine thing it would be if on the very day you know who seems to have disappeared, the muggles found out about us all. Is this not the ultimate foreshadowing to, like, book seven? If if Voldemort disappears, will the, you know, could this not be in the very first book, on page 13 of the UK freaking book, I think it starts on eight anyway, so it's page five or six in the U- U.S., McGonagall's saying a fine thing it would be if the muggles found out about us as soon as Voldemort, you know, is gone. So Hagrid comes. They're talking, and this big, big giant on a motorbike comes down, says he borrowed the bike from Sirius Black, which is really cool. Okay, so my question for this part is where was Sirius at this time? We know the whole Godric's Holler thing, but what exactly was he doing, uh, right around the time that Hagrid came, because he borrowed Sirius's micro- motorcycle. Well, I think we can de- well, deduce. Well, didn't he... He's not the secret keeper, but he would um, be with the party. Do you think he's looking out for him right now? I think it, it would make sense in, in you know... in. T- well, didn't he... Wait, wait, wait. Didn't he actually, not trying to jump ahead in the series here, but didn't he go after Peter the day after they were murdered? Yes, he did. Which or is... hours after they were murdered, yeah. which means that he's already been arrested at this point. Uh, No. No, 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 no. He would not. It was the next day. It was the next. I think it was sunlight. Like, but this is the next. I know, day. but mid afternoon. I'm talking like it had to have been. I think. I think it would be still another day or so, Laura. I think. I'm almost positive that there's something up Hagrid, there that no, there's a mistake because it really seems like he went after him right after he found out. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he, you know, caught up with him right away. You know, Peter could be miles away. He could have told Voldemort. I mean, because the thing is. Hagrid says in book three that he go, he went back, you know, to return his bike back, but, you know, Hagrid would have found out, if he delivered Harry, if that had already happened... He doesn't say it in no, book three, he says it right in the beginning of the book one, okay, I gotta go return no, this to no, Sirius. No, no, but in book three, he says when he found out about Sirius was, you know, being lying murder, that was after. Like, he didn't say any of that when he dropped Harry off, so that hasn't happened yet. 
or they, they, they don't know it, you know? They don't need... And it's interesting, also, it's kind of a contradiction, like Laura was almost saying, because Professor McGonagall, again, doesn't know any of this, you know, about Pettigrew and the Seeker Keeper and all sorts of other stuff, and yet it's so mainstream in what's happening. But I think that does happen in the next day. Well, no one knows about Pettigrew being the Secret Keeper. Not even Dumbledore. We went over this when we talked about You're right. Pettigrew. So, yes. but still... Still, they don't they don't know that Sirius is a bad guy. So she mentioned his name, and that's all good. And this whole thing happens, I think, before all that stuff happens. So I'd imagine right now Sirius is, oh yeah, that's right. Sirius shows up and asks to take after Harry because he's his godfather. Remember that he asked Hagrid to take him, and then and then Hagrid says, no, I got orders from Dumbledore. But okay, so Hagrid yeah, that was at Godric's yeah, Hollow. So ha- okay, Hagrid lands, and and he tells. He tells him that uh, the house was, like, destroyed and stuff, and that he had to get uh, Harry out of the house before the muggles all swarmed around. First of all, okay, this is Godric's Hollow. The end of Book 6, we don't even know what it is. We can assume that Harry knows what it is because that's one of those things that J.K.R. never explained, probably should have, but we get a pit feeling that Harry knows what it is because he's all like, let's go to Godric's Hollow, my parents are buried there. Anyway... Godric's Hollow. What Wasn't is it? That answered. Muggles, muggles can be there though. So, so what's? Well, we don't know that it was a pure wizarding community. No, but you'd think it would be if it was named after. But then again, Godric's Godric was a welcoming person. But the question is, um, we had this whole Fidelia's charm thing. So I don't even know why Hagrid could have found the house that the Potters were in, even though after they they were dead, that might have worn off. That's the other thing. But. Hagrid went, and there was all this this smoldering rubble. First of all, the death curse shouldn't leave any trace, so I don't know why the house was destroyed. Maybe that's because Voldemort, you know, kind of blew up when he died. Whatever. Um, That's fine. I can deal with that. Where are Lily and James? Why would Hagrid pick Harry up and take him out, and what would happen to Lily and James? That's the other thing. Harry's so convinced that that they're buried at Godric's Hollow, I don't even know why he would know that, because from the look of things, it just seemed like the whole house was destroyed, and Hagrid kind of went in to get Harry and left. But didn't Sirius say something about seeing their bodies? I really doubt it. I really don't know. I mean, I I don't remember. We'll find out when we're reading through, but listen to rebuttal. Please call, phone in. Actually, email. MuggleCastAtStaff.MuggleNet.com The house was destroyed and I got him out all right before the muggles started swimming around. He fell asleep as we were flying over Bristol. But you did bring up a point. I don't know how long Hagrid was going going through, you know, flying and taking him, but... Yeah, but it... I mean, the kids get on a train in London, and we know that they're going somewhere in Scotland. That only takes them, you know, from the morning to the evening. Well, it's just like... It's just like at the it, end of chapter three. I mean, and three. that's in a train, not flying, and flying's much faster. Well, at the end of chapter three, Harry's counting down to his birthday, and he starts from, like, five minutes, and he starts hearing Hagrid on the rocks, you know, when there's five minutes to go. So, it's like, you know, it takes five minutes for Hagrid to get out of his, you know, whatever he's using, climb up and knock on the door. That That's just crap. It's not right. But it's perfectly timed with his birthday. And we still don't know why Harry knows what when his birthday is, but that's been speculated. So stuff. we learned a lot about a uh, few people in this chapter. We learned a lot about Mr. Dursley, a uh, good amount about Dumbledore, a uh, good amount about Dudley, and how already we can see that he's pretty obnoxious. Uh, and we learned that 
McGonagall is very uh, rare. <laughs> girl, you'd be sitting like that too if you had your back to the wall, girl. That was funny, Andrew. He's got the Jersey thing going on. Andrew has totally got this this Jersey hooker red light district type attitude going on. This is really funny. <laughs> what? Flattering. Thanks, Eric. Uh, so that wraps up chapter one. Now let's go into chapter two, the vanishing glass, Eric. So it's Dudley's birthday, and that that's when Harry wakes up. It's, it's Dudley's birthday, and we get really – if we didn't already have enough of it from when his childhood, we really learn a lot more about Dudley in this chapter. And this is the chapter where – uh, we first see Harry's ability, his real ability. That's going to play a part, mostly in Chamber of Secrets. Dudley's birthday, they decide to go to the zoo. They don't... Uh, Where do you want to start talk. talking, Eric? Um, well, first of all, they, I think they go... Yeah, he's basically getting treated really badly. He lives in a cupboard under the stairs. They don't really acknowledge him and don't ask questions. That's pointed out very early. That's the key to living a life with the Dursleys. No questions. And... Harry really can't help it. You know, Dudley doesn't want him to go to the zoo, but they really have no place other to take him, and Harry can't help Because Mrs. Fig broke her leg. It's interesting. And then Uncle Vernon says, oh, we could phone Marge, and then Mrs. Dursley says, don't be silly, Vernon. She the hates boy. the boy. And it turns – so, but Harry can't help but feel responsible for this because strange things have always happened around him, such as, I, you know – I think this – I found something, and it offers complete insight into the Goblet of Fire films and the trend of the future films. But I think it's very unfortunate because it's foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> let me just find this. It's 21 in the UK book. It says, uh, about once a week, Uncle Vernon looked over the top of his newspaper and shouted at Harry and needed a haircut. Harry must have had more haircuts than the rest of the boys in his class put together, but it made no difference. His hair simply grew that way all over the place. So, people of the world, I'm sorry. If you want to see Dan Radcliffe and Rupert Grant with shorter hair in the future movies, don't count on it. Uh, Jake Harris said it quite clearly right here that Harry's hair simply grows that way. What I thought was particularly interesting about Harry talking to the snake from Brazil was that he didn't seem to find it all that peculiar. Yeah. Hey. There were I'm really no thoughts of why is this happening? <laughs> why am I talking to a snake? Am I imagining this? Well, I think it doesn't come as a surprise to him because, like Eric said, strange things have happened to him in the past. But actually, I think so, you no. Know, I think that would still throw an alarm. I think there was a moment where Harry was like, "Is this happening?" I think because. Um, it was the part where you know he was thinking, "Wait, snakes don't blink." Yeah. Or something like that. Snakes don't wink. The snake winked at him. Yeah. And uh, it just makes you go kind of wonder, does Harry think that there are... Yeah, it, it kind of... He, he's probably at that point wondering, do, it, are there other kids out there that this is happening to? Am I just weird? Well, it right now. Then he looked quickly around to see if anyone was yeah. watching, and they weren't. So he looked back at the snake and winked, too. And then, like, the snake jerked his head, and it gave Harry a look that said, you know, Kind of, that said, he didn't say the snake didn't talk to him first. But the look in his in the snake's face or eyes or whatever it said said I get that all the time. So Harry, Harry just kind of starts talking as a kind of he doesn't expect it to reply. You know, even though it just winked at him, he can understand what the snake's going through because clearly they relate to each other in probably more of the ways than one Harry and snakes. But um, he you know he kind of feels empathetic or sympathetic, so he starts talking to him. And, you know, lo and behold, 
he can actually talk to I, I think it's just the way it was written and the way it happens Harry you know he looks around even if he's imagining it it's a new friend to talk to I think it goes to show a lot about Harry's character just with the fact that the Dursleys have always told him you know we don't approve of imagination don't ask questions yet Harry is of his own free will sitting here kind of testing the waters he winks back at the snake and it just goes to show that he's not letting his curiosity be buried by the Dursleys which is really cool. Um, now, the Dursleys said when they took him in that they'd put, an, uh, put a stop to all the magic. And I know they say that in Chapter 3 when they get the letter. But what do you guys think that means? I mean, they, they always say, we swore when you took him in. And, you know, Vernon says that in the movie on the hut. You know, you know in the hut. And he says, we swore when he took him in. It, I think they just swore to themselves, really. They didn't have to promise Dumbledore anything, certainly. I mean, that would be against everything, you know, the letter must have said. Because Dumbledore... When he dropped the letter, he said to McGonagall that they'll be able to tell him everything. Is you know he had he had no reason to believe that the Dursleys wouldn't tell Harry. So then at the zoo, Pierce calls over. No, Pierce calls over uh, Mr. Dursley and Dudley, and uh, they push Harry aside to get a better look. And then the glass in front of the snake's tank vanishes. Now, this is Harry's doing. Kind of, it's wandless magic. Which I would think is pretty advanced for Harry being so young. Uh, no. It's, oh. I think it's part of, in this case, it's part of growing up. When you were angry or scared, as Hagrid tells him. In the, oh, right, know, right. Yeah, by accident, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like when he was trying to escape Dudley's gang and wound up on the chimney. Now, do you guys think he apparated then? When, when that happened? No. Because I, I get the, it's either, because Harry thinks, Harry didn't feel any squeezing, you know, or anything that he feels when he does properly apparate. So he must have gotten up there some other way. I mean, he thinks it's because the wind or whatever, that's silly. But he got up there somehow, and I was thinking, wow, did he just accidentally apparate or what? Well, I think strange things like that often happen to kids because, again, not trying to jump too far ahead, but Colin Creevy said he was having weird stuff happen to him. Wait, he did? Yeah, he did. He said he could never figure out why all these weird things were happening to him, and then they got the letter, and they found out why. Well, going back to the the anger thing, doesn't Mister Dursley knock him over when he's yeah, that's, that's, going up to look at the that's snake? That's why he got angry, so and that's possible. the reason. I'm pretty sure. It, uh, yeah, especially and in the movie, the I think they made a point to make that stand out so people understand why he why the glass vanished. Because when Hagrid explains it, yeah, actually in the movie he twitches his eyes even, you know, and then he seems surprised, but he really did the eye twitch thing where he's like, "I wish that happens." You well, know? if I remember, Mister Dursley knocks him over, and then it's immediate cut to Harry falling and then staring at him really intently, and then the actually glass it was vanishes. Dudley. Dudley knocks him over. Oh, Dud- right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Get over here, boy. <laughs> okay, so this earns. Okay, the escape of the brilliant Brazilian boa constrictor earned Harry's longest ever punishment. So now, whatever date it was to start with, uh, it says by the time he was allowed out of his cupboard again, the summer holidays had started. So it's now summer, and there's kind of this thing where Harry's being punished for another thing he couldn't do, and he goes to check the mail one morning, and it's a letter for him. Now, Are we on chapter three now? Nobody's ever written yes. Nobody has ever, ever written Harry let alone cared about him or knew that he existed, pretty much. Um, Can I just add something real quick? Sure. The reason why uh, the Dudleys... (laughs) The Dudleys... The reason why the Dursleys had him locked up was because, 
I think in my opinion, and I think we could discuss this a little bit, is because they were scared. Right? I scared think, of what I he could th- do mm-hmm. next? Yeah. Well, right. That's why they won't leave him. Well, also him. scared of the fact that he would be turning 11 soon, and of course Petunia knew that was when Lily got her letter. So they're afraid that because he's showing magical ability that he's going to get his Hogwarts letter. I think that's interesting. I don't I don't think Petunia had like a conscious thought going that he's now soon 11, so he'll get a letter then. You know, I, I don't really think that was... Well, she was around when Lily got she hers. She was, but at the same time, I thought she... I get the idea that she was just afraid any magic would spark something, as opposed to, you know... Oh, I'm sure. We didn't see... But, I mean, with that deadline coming up, it would definitely make it more apparent. But Petunia's not the one who's punishing Harry. She doesn't like the boy, but Vernon's really the one who's burning all the letters, who's doing all this and that. And actually... It, well, she's not stopping Yeah, but Petunia's him. so locked up in denying everything, even more so than Vernon, you know, not talking about her sister, pretending she doesn't even have a sister, that I think until the letter comes... I don't even think she realizes that a lot of this stuff is going to happen to Harry. I think the thing that may have scared them the most was when um, they were going back in the car and Piers mentions that Harry was talking to the snake. I think so, too. That's that's freaking crazy. Well, yeah, someone else noticed that they have a nephew who has an abnormality. (laughs) They can't, yeah. So now chapter three. The letters from no one. This is... It's funny because there's... um, there's more J.K. Rowling humor in the addresses of the letters. Now, I don't want to jump to the end of the chapter already, but no matter where they go, the letters always know exactly where Harry is, which is quite, you know, the contrary to anybody ever knowing that Harry even existed, you know, widespread. And so it's funny because Harry was originally going to be away from Dudley anyway this year. Dudley is going to smeltings, and Harry's just going to Stonewall High. You know what's funny about smeltings, just to throw in a quick thing? When you smelt something, you basically take a piece of crap and turn it into something good. <laughs> really? That's like the That's funniest funny. thing ever. Okay, and J.K. Rowling humor. See, okay, so when he finds his letter in the mail, he says nobody writes to him, right? And I'm going to actually read this because this is really, really, really funny. Harry picked it up and stared at it, his heart twanging like a giant elastic band. No one ever in his whole life had written to him. Who would? He had no friends, no other relatives. He didn't belong to the library, so he'd never even gotten rude notes asking for books back. Now that is a J.K. Rowling sentence. Yet here was yeah, a letter addressed That there could be no mistake. But that is a J.K. Rowling yes. sentence. Come on. This is a complete jab from J.K.R. to all the libraries. See, I see a scenario where J.K.R. had to do some research for these books. So she she borrowed books, and then, you know, she'd always get... I feel she's speaking from personal experience, that she's gotten rude notes asking for book books. I mean, just the way this is worded, it's incredibly funny that it should just state here that he doesn't even get letters from libraries that are really, really rude. You know, it's just I, – I, I laughed because it seems like J.K.R. is oh, I just – I think there are a lot of personal examples in the books. So get the letter. Uncle Vernon gets all afraid all over again. Harry tries to keep the letter, but – Uncle Vernon keeps it from him. The following morning, Harry wakes up again. Well, he tries to, he tries to get up early that morning to see if there was another letter that arrived by any chance. At this point, though, he doesn't know it's magic, so I don't know what would lead him to believe that uh, another letter would show up. Especially the day. Uh, right no, no, no. Exactly. There was another letter yeah. to the... No, you're, you guys are forgetting a day. 
uh, that day after the first one arrived, Vernon went into the cupboard and told him to move into Dudley's second bedroom, at which point the next morning he made Dudley get the uh, mail, and then there was another one addressed to the smallest bedroom. So they had actually twi- tried twice um, to get him. And then that's yeah, how. Yeah, but the point is, why would he be expecting it? It's not right after, after the first one; it's the after the second one. one. You know, whatever. Why would that's he be two days expecting straight. it that quickly? That's, that's two days in a row that they've tried to contact him. You know, it's it's it's, and they they knew he was changing. That's why, because it goes from the smallest, you know, the cupboard under the stairs to the smallest bedroom. Somebody's like pinpointing his exact location, and they. they I think he's getting spoiled getting these letters <laughs> really one day is. after the other. He's, he's but, starting yeah, to Yeah, it's not good much. for the, the healthy mind, uh, but, but it's not good for I, the think, ego, I no. think he does have enough to go on to, to want to get up early. The problem is uh, Vernon beat him to it. He, he You know, Vernon, it's funny because Vernon puts all this confidence in Harry that he's going to try and sneak up really early so he better, you know, sleep there the whole night. That Vernon actually gets out of sleeping bag and sleeps there to prevent Harry from doing it. I think, you know, he gave, he just gave Harry the best compliment there ever is, knowing he's, like, that intelligent to figure that out and try and stop him. So then more letters start to arrive in all these impossible ways, and long story short, <laughs> uh, Mr. Drew says, okay, it's time to move out. Dun, dun, dun. And they can't take it. They can't, they can't let Harry get these ideas that what he that there are other people like him out there because they're so they're so bent you know hell bent even on keeping it down that he's special at well, all. Well, he knows something's up now. Yeah, he does, and that's that's unfortunately you know they can't stop it because magic has a sense of humor and magic is determined. Well, they also can't stand the thought of letting Harry think that he's actually important enough to be getting all these letters. That's right too. They don't like the idea that he thinks that there's someone out there who so persistently wants to contact him. And that's him. their problem, because every time they try and deny it, more letters come, and more letters come, and more letters come. I still don't get why they don't like him. I mean... Yeah, I was just thinking of that, too. Why Why do they treat him like that? Okay, it's because Lily was a wizard, or a witch, and Aunt Petunia absolutely hates the thought of that. But... Well, it's family. The Potters, I mean, yeah. Well, not well, I everyone mean, I can comes see not... from like great families. I mean, there are a lot of situations where family members are spiteful to each other just because you know I didn't like your mom or I, I don't like your dad. So, yeah, I it's mean, just a simple matter. And it does say in the beginning of the book that the the dislike. Potters were as undurslyish as it could be. So even if it weren't like magic in general, just something like I can see. Common talk, kind of like what happens with, you know, when when Arthur Weasley goes up to, or or the way Arthur Weasley views Muggles, you know, they're just so peculiar and so different that they just can't get over, you know, he can't get over their differences. So I'm thinking, well, the Dursleys, in addition to the fact that Petunia absolutely hates Lily and you know her husband's unemployed and they they totally look down on that or whatever, I think it's just also the kind of people, you know, James, even though the he used to be a really egocentric prick. I mean, let's face it, that's what we found out. So, you know, I can't say he'd pull a Fred and George Weasley on him, but he might not be terribly, you know, fixated on making the best impression possible when he's around the Dursleys, and I think that could have an effect. Or we could just assume, and, and, and or at least... Uh, they're just these kind of people who, if you don't fit their definition of normal then they're just going to shun you. 
that's who they are. Mm, I still think maybe there's a little bit more we have to learn about, hopefully, about Lily and Petunia. Oh, I'd love to learn more about that. Because I think that plays a big role. I think that does play a really big role in in why there's this well, sort of like animosity between them. Or at least it between seems like, the especially, no, even all throughout the books, it seems like Vernon is even more hell-bent on stomping the magic out of Harry than Petunia is. I mean, would you guys agree? I mean, he's the one who's saying, you know, no effing owls and, you know, all this other stuff. And Petunia's kind of sitting there. I mean, obviously, he's a decent husband if he doesn't want his wife to get upset. But at the same time, he's going even further out. I think he's taking most of the initiative to to try and make her happy, and he's ruining it for the both of them. I don't know. I'm just wondering how many of the ideas that the Dursleys do, I'm wondering how many of the ideas are actually Vernon's. You know, to torture Harry. Well, you, I mean, you look at it, Vernon and Petunia have very similar ideas about how people should behave. And, you know, here he comes along and he has, in his eyes, the perfect wife. But if anyone finds out that she's related to a witch, I mean, that's just going to ruin the reputation. Yeah, but witches are cool. Magic is cool. Not to him, obviously. Well, right. But I, I, I don't know. I think it's... I think that more of that is kind of needed, but at the same time, also, if we don't find more out, we have to accept that this is a fiction story, and there are people that the Dursleys could relate to in life who just really aren't nice people, and aren't, you know, well-rounded, and aren't completely there, and they might be mean just to be mean, because it's something that gets them by for whatever reason. Alright, so that concludes our chapter discussion this week. Ah, oh, first one. Not too bad. Uh, we were thinking... We're gonna, we're gonna work on cutting it down, um... Slightly, yeah. Not only that, we're just gonna we're just gonna plan it out a little bit more. Highlight the but the key parts of it. Obviously, the first three, especially chapter absolutely. one, needed the most work. Um, the one thing I just want to mention one thing. The one thing that will determine the future of this section. No, you can't axe it, but please send in suggestions. Talk about it on the forums, MuggleCastFan.net. Talk about it and let us know what you think and what should happen, how we should handle things, because. This did last longer than even I wanted it to, and I mean, but it was interactive as I hoped it would be, and it is as I said. I mean, if you guys do read along, it will be a completely excellent reliving of the entire series, and it's at a slow pace, and we can analyze everything and really get everybody, like the whole world, recyced. I mean, as Andrew said, it, it had been since Nam. Yep. So since he read. I mean, hey, same here, which is why I did it. Because, I mean, we have this podcast, and, you know, we haven't... I feel like such a loser. I I feel like one, too. We had this podcast, and we're talking about Harry, and we're always talking about the books. But it had been forever since we last read the books that we're talking about. It's almost hypocritical, which is why this section was so... Well, I tend to flip through them a lot, but that's cool. So next week we will be doing chapters 4 and 5, that is The Keeper of the Keys and Diagon Alley. And so if you want to send in your questions about those chapters, read up on them during the week. Actually, read up on them soon, over the weekend, because we record this show usually during the middle towards the end of the week. So read up chapters 4 to 6. Uh, email us your questions. 4 and 5. Sorry. 4 and sorry, 5. 4 to 5. <laughs> and send in your questions to mugglecast at staff.mugglenet.com. Put in the subject line uh, chapter by chapter. And we'll read your questions and we'll answer a couple of them on there. The people who will be reading along, this will be a much more fan interactive section in the future chapters. We will focus on yes. voicemails you ask. And those will be so our highlighting for- topics. 
Yes, so don't forget chapters four and five for next week. It's like homework. All right, class, next week uh, have chapters four and five read, and we will you really discuss want to it kill this section, don't you? You really want to get them. Eric, that sucked. That was the worst section ever. Andrew gave us homework. No, I, I like, I like, I like, you like the getting teacher. homework. And Micah, if you forget to read one more time, that's a detention. Oh, man. All right, now let's take – let's shake things up a bit. It is time now for the third place winner of the Create Your Own MuggleCast segment contest. Uh, for the past three shows, I've been – we've been revealing winners. Well, for the past two. And third week, here we are with third place. And the third place winner <laughs> is – Heather Cachet and her third and fourth graders at – Southwestern City Schools in Ohio. Congratulations to them. And here is their segment right now. This is Mrs. Cachet coming to you from Grove City, Ohio. I have some students here with me that are also interested in Harry Potter. Yo, yo, what's up? I'm Morgan. I love Harry Potter. My name's Jordan B. and I love Harry Potter books. I'm Kennedy S. and I love Harry Potter books. I'm Emily C. and I can imitate Hermione. Emily, why don't you do it? Okay. Have either of you seen a toad? A boy named Neville's lost one. Oh, are you doing magic? Let's see then. Great job. In the first episode, the MuggleNet boys ask, do younger kids read the series? Yes. If Hogwarts stays open, will Harry return? I think Harry definitely will go back because he always says that Hogwarts is his home. I also have a question for the seventh book. Will will J.K. Rowling really put in Bill and... Forest wedding. Yeah, really. It's a happy beginning. Yeah, it would be. They always yeah, like, they always should like, start out with a happy beginning. It's always really it's dull and boring. Skip through the Dursleys, go right to the Weasleys. Or you could start out with the wedding music right when you open the book. Do you? It'd be like one of those cards that has the little micro trip in it that yeah. plays music. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what if they're getting married by muggles? Yeah. They wouldn't know. I wonder. <laughs> no. Would they have the same kind of wedding ceremony? No, I don't know. Probably yeah. not. And today being Valentine's Day. <laughs> they would probably just, like, use a wand to get a ring in. After they kiss, they're, like, blast off on a cruise. <laughs> and then they would have, like, sparks that said, just married. Oh, that would be cute. And then, yeah. Well, I think that it definitely won't be a muggle wedding, because if a ring just pops out of thin air, the muggle party suspects something, then they'll tell the news, and the news people will put it in the news, and then everyone will roll around will know. Because the wedding is a happy place, do you think that it would be a time that Voldemort would take advantage of something that is happy and bring in misery? Yeah, yeah, that was... Yeah. Any ideas? Voldemort could just pop in any second. Do you think that they'll really fight with wands, though? Well, maybe, you know, if it's a muggle wedding, no way. They'd have to punch each other. I think that somebody unexpected could come to the wedding. And then I, they killed Floor. Yeah, I think that they'll kill Floor. You think so? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Because she's, I think it was a little bit of a mistake. 
mistake for her to be in the Triwizard Tournament. Oh, like, Ari. <laughs> explain yourself. She put it in. Well, yeah, but she's a little too girly. Girly girls can't be um, amazing. And I also think that either at the wedding, if Voldemort does come, two of three people will die. One of them is Floor, and the other is either Harry or Voldemort. One of them has to die in the seventh book, somewhere in there. But do you think Harry's actually going to be the one to kill him? Or will he die somehow by another hand? One of them is going to kill each other. I have a little theory. Malfoy's not going to be in the seventh book. Why? Because he said to Dumbledore, well, if I don't kill you, then Lord Voldemort will kill me. Yeah, but the snake killed Dumbledore, so he might be dead. Yeah. Ooh. I'm kind of wondering about Malfoy because now he has this life debt to Dumbledore, basically. But if he does not die, then that's a really, really clear path right to Harry. If who doesn't die? If Malfoy doesn't die. That's a real clear path. But who knows when Malfoy's going to turn 17? Because when they're 17, they are of age wizards and they can do magic outside of school. Mm. So Malfoy could track down Harry and kill him if he has to. Do you think he would actually cause that commotion? I think he would. He hates Harry. Yeah. Yeah, but what if he secretly likes him? But I don't think he has the rage because remember in the in the fifth book, when Harry tries to cast the the killing curse on Bellatrix and fails, she turns around and laughs at him and says, You have to really mean it. No, it wasn't Does Malfoy and does Harry really have that in them? Can they really do that to someone else? No. No, they can't. Harry's got a heart. He he, he can't kill anything. And Actually, doesn't it say doesn't it say that Harry will best Voldemort with something that he doesn't have, and he has love. Yeah. Yeah, that's why um, he couldn't touch Harry in the first book. Exactly. And Voldemort has hatred. Yeah. Yes, it's, but Harry has enough strength and enough heart to kill Voldemort with the out of a kid of a The killing curse. I just like to say the name. <laughs> Even though I, I don't know if I say it right, but still, I say the name. That's good. I think Denny will definitely die because um, there's a chance that she might be the Horcrux in the Chamber of Secrets. When Tom Riddle says to Harry that the Ginny gave her soul to me, you have to give your soul away for you to be a Horcrux. And she gave it away. He could have got it in there and then it came back to her so she could be the Horcrux. And it's also going to be someone who they least expect because no one would want to kill Ginny except for Slytherin's but. Thinking about what you said about a piece of the soul being used to create a horcrux. It wasn't a piece of Ginny's soul that was killed. It was Tom Riddle. When Harry struck the snake fang into the journal and Tom Riddle died. His memory died. Well, he was a a horcrux. One out of seven is gone. The reference to Ginny's soul, did he actually leave a piece of that soul? He probably did. Probably. He had her right under control. He made her do anything he wanted. And he also took her soul a little bit of it. She almost died because he almost took all of it. It's an interesting idea. I'm Emily. I'm Kennedy. I'm Jordan. And I'm Mario. I'm Mrs. Cachet. See ya. 
Okay, so once again, that was Heather Cachet and her third and fourth grade classes. So congrats to them once you again. You guys were great. I really loved listening yeah. to your segment. It was awesome. Let me just read our email real quick. Uh, I'm attaching an entry for the listener challenge that several of my students and I put together. The students are third and fourth graders who until last Friday had never heard of podcasting. It took three sessions and lots of editing to compile this, and we hope you enjoy it. Which, and yes, it yeah, turned out great. I thought it was really amazing it. because these kids yeah. really put some effort into their discussion. I love little kids. Now it is time for the general voicemails. Let's roll the first one right now. Hello, MuggleCast. This is Zev from Peaks Island, Maine. I was wondering, how do you think Sirius and Voldemort got their wands back after so long? I'm guessing Sirius had his confiscated when he was arrested, and I would imagine that Voldemort dropped his when he was ripped from his body. And speaking of wands, what did you think of Valdi's wand in movie 4? Did it seem a little un-Ollivander for the handle to look like a bone? Just wanted to hear what you thought. Thank you. To answer the second part of that question, yes, it was very un-Ollivander, but it was another one of those things where the movies don't really relate to the book. Um, I think it appeared like that in the movie just to illustrate what evil things Voldemort uh, could do with his wand. He wouldn't have a pink teddy bear as a wand. Exactly. But at the same time, I think in the movie they did mention that its brother gave you that scar. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I think it's I think it's possible to change the outside of your wand, at least if you're trying to make sense of the movies, which, again, you don't have to. Um, but really, I think it's, at, it's what's at the core of the wands that matters. And the holly and phoenix, I mean, sorry, the phoenix feather being from Fox, that's that's what counts. And, you know, they, they dueled and they couldn't do it and priori incantatum and boom. And that's what counts. That, yeah. It's what's inside that counts, guys. So, so how did Voldemort get his wand back? Um, first of all, was there any clear proof that said he lost it in the um, first place? Well, he must well, have. Well, even if he did, Pettigrew could have gotten it. I mean, Pettigrew that's what I was going to say. Back. He lost his yeah. body. It wouldn't have taken much for Pettigrew or... Any of the other dead. Well, let's assume, especially if Pettigrew was there. Yes. Well, at no. the night that he would have snatched it right away. No, because if he would have, we're assuming Voldemort used his wand to say, you know, Avada Kedavra and kill the Potters, and then at that moment he would have been gone, you know, whatever. But the question is, what point did the house actually explode? When he lost his body, or what? Because would Pettigrew have been able to go in there and just snatch the wand, and would he have not snatched Harry then? Or something, you know, what was the thought process there? Because, I mean, I think Pettigrew had Voldemort's wand. Why would know. he, though? His master was gone, you know? I don't know how he would have... Pettigrew only serves himself, and it wouldn't be much to his benefit if he were caught running around with Harry Potter after his parents had been murdered. I mean, was it possible the house was destroyed after? I mean, it's possible that Death Eaters could have just Voldemort. shown up and blown the place to But why would they save Lily and James's bodies? You know, apparently they're alive. Who says that? Who says that they well, saved them? Well, if they're them. buried and somehow Harry knows that, you know, that they're buried in Gundrick's. Well, what do you, what do you mean by save their bodies? I don't. You mean why wouldn't they take well, them or what? I mean, no one says. I mean, I'm not trying to get morbid here, but no one says that their bodies were perfectly preserved after the house blew up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think Hagrid said that actually, because he said he saw Lily and James or something when he picked them up. But, you know, I really don't know. I'm just saying it's really a question. Like, I don't know. I think Peter had Voldemort's wand, and I think that's what makes sense to me. But I don't know how he would have gotten it. And that he blew the house up? No, I don't. Well, he blew the street up. I just have a hard time believing that he would be all, you know, fine after the house blew up and he was still inside it. Yeah. 
Well, he blew the street up, which was cool. I don't know. I I just don't know why the house blew up. But getting back to the the voicemail question, um, what was the first part uh, of the question? Well, it was how did Voldemort get his back, and oh. then how did Sirius um, get his back? But I think it's completely feasible that uh, Sirius could have picked it up. As no, he was they would have taken it from him. Well, it is interesting though, because you would think that Azkaban would have varying degrees as to uh, who would get their wands back, because we know that people like Haggard, for instance, have gone to Azkaban and gotten out, and obviously they're not going to snap the wands of people who are going in there for, you know, only specified periods of time. I would think that with someone like Sirius, who they believe to have murdered so many muggles and killed Peter Pettigrew, betrayed the Potters, that they would have destroyed his wand. So I'm just wondering... How and he worked. he broke out of Azkaban. It's not like he was released and they're like, oh, here's your wand. You know, he had a broke out. So if he still yeah. has the same wand that that he always did, then it would make he would have had to find it first of all in Azkaban and grab it and take it with him. You know, during his escape, I think that's needed. Ex- that's extra unneeded baggage. Was it uh, possible Dumbledore got it back? No, for him? because the whole. But what would his excuse be for getting it back? Wait. Hey, uh, could I, uh... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Actually, that's a good question. I was going to say that he couldn't have because Sirius had his wand in book three, but if you think about it, I don't think he did. Because when he's standing over Ron, he has, like, a knife or something. He doesn't have his wand, does he? Well, and he stole... I think he was using Ron's wand whenever Harry and Hermione got into the street. That's a good point. Maybe he got a new one. I think Dumbledore could have angled a wand out of... You know, a wand for Sirius. Or, do we actually see Sirius with a wand before the end of book five? When he has to... No, I mean, what does he need it for? Exactly. Like, he's been in the house, you know, in Grimmauld Place, and in movie four, he's in the cave in Hogsmeade. He doesn't really have a wand. So actually, did he ever get his wand back is the real question. But how is he changing into an out I don't even know that he has his wand out of Magus form? Well, we see Pettigrew mean? using a wand specifically to do that. Um, Maybe it depends on... His power? The amount of power you have. I mean, he could be using wandless no, when magic. Did, when, did, when did Peter use a wand to turn himself? Because I think that's crap, because you can't take the, in prisoner you can't take the wand with you. So did he do it in the movie or the book? The book. He Whenever Remus started to transform, he dropped his wand, and then Pettigrew took I it. I think he did that to unbind himself, though. I don't think you need a wand to turn out of Animagus form. Well, it actually, I looked into that after we talked about it on one of the shows, and it's not specific. It doesn't say whether or not he just used it to unbind himself. So we're not one hundred percent. Because I'm like, sure. I think that would be stupid. Because you can't take. That's the other thing. You can't. Can you take your wand with you when you change into an animal? Like that's the thing about the Prisoner of Azkaban movie. His clothes fell to the floor. You know, Peter Pettigrew was all his clothes. You know, fell to the floor, and he turned into a rat out. You know, under inside his clothes, and then crawled out of him. So, but then other animagi kind of seem to turn with their clothes on, you know, and when they, when they come out of animagi's form, they are naked. So how does that work? I think that's just a movie error. Yeah. It's just a matter of him escaping, I guess. Hi, my name is William Blake and I'm from Red Oak, New York. My question for you is what role do you think the time turner will play in book seven, if any? We all see that it plays a profound role in POA. So do you think J.K.R. will bring it back? Also, just how rare do you think the Time Turners are? Do you think that they will be the savior of the trio if they make a fatal error in the final Voldemort-Harry showdown? Thanks, guys. I love the show. So keep up the good work. Ah, uh, does Hermione still have no, that thing? She had to give it back. You have to be very strict to use it. 
But she, yep. JKR has not forgotten about time. We saw the time room, you know, the whole room devoted to time, and it turns so it actually aged, or rather de-aged a Death Eater's head, and gave him the face of a baby. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like crazy stuff. There's nothing you can't do with time. So it's really, I don't know. Do you guys think time management will, uh, <laughs> time management in many ways, uh, play play a book and play a role? In part, book seven. I think it's got to because I think the Department of Mysteries is going to play a huge role in book seven. I could be wrong on this, but didn't Time Turners weren't they banned in one of the books? Was it after Prisoner of Azkaban? Um, I can't remember. I know that students aren't normally allowed to use them. Hermione was a very, very special case. Yeah, she had to write, you know, all those letters, and McGonagall had to really lay it down hard on her. But also, I think she uses certain magical instruments for a purpose, and I don't know if I see her reusing things over and over. I think she brings them up um, only when they're necessary. Well, that's the yeah, question. Exactly. That's the question also. Mm-hmm. Polyjuice potion. That's the number one overused thing in the entire series. I mean, if you have to think about it, it was introduced like this vague thing that Snape once mentioned in book two. And then, you know... In, in in book three, you, you get uh, – no, in book four, you get Barty Crouch Jr. using it with his mom, and you get Rita Skeeter using it. You know, or No, she's an animagist. I'm sorry. You get uh, – that's the other thing, unregistered animagi. Apologies Potion and unregistered animagi. I mean, Crab and Goyle are using – you know, it's like book three, we found out there are three of them. And then book four, there's Rita Skeeter, too. It's like, how many animagi can there possibly be that aren't registered? And then, you know, the Apologies Potion. It's just stuff I get. So – well, it's sort of like people who are driving without licenses. <laughs> it's a pretty... I'm sure that that's got a common likeness. I mean, it happens. And and then the Polyjuice Potion is simple. Anyone can do it. So, so why wouldn't it be all, common? Yeah. So we're all, we're all in agreement here. One hit wonder. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Uh, was, that's what Mike is thinking. And I well, we saw it again. That. So it was at least a two hit wonder. I mean, yeah, you can go to that. You can go to Polyjuice Potion. You can even talk about the pensive and how many times that's been used after it's come into play. But I just think that this is the type of thing that, I don't know, after book three, I I don't really see a use for it. And Dumbledore was pretty strict about its usage in the first place. So I I think it's one of those things that's just best not brought back. Just leave it out of the picture. It's just saying... Saying it was banned would be a good way to get out of it, but then again, Harry does a lot of. How did Fred and things, George so. know the outcome of the Quidditch World Cup hours and hours before it happened? I don't know. That's not a voice <laughs> question. Why are you asking that? This relates. It would make sense if they had a time turner. I don't know. Moving on. Yeah, so moving along, we're actually going to cut the voicemails right here because uh, at this point, uh, the show is very long, longer than shows that we've done before. So we're going to go to the editorial discussion right now. We've been talking about this for so long, and finally, our first one is here. This one was done by Laura and Micah. No, it was really well done. Um, Brandon really did a good job explaining everything um, about the editorial we discussed. And actually, to, I guess, sort of promote him, he's got another editorial that just came out recently. That's um, about Aberforth Dumbledore. And it's kind of interesting, so be sure to check that out in addition to the one we talk about. So here it is now, our first ever editorial discussion with Brandon Ford. 
Micah and I are now joined by Brandon Ford, MuggleNet.com editorialist and author of the Underground Lake column. First off, Brandon, we owe you a huge thank you for helping us kick off this new segment. This is our first time doing it. We'd contacted quite a few people, and you were the first person to pull through, so it's really great to have you here this week. Thank you. Uh, that's mostly because mm-hmm. I have no life. <laughs> well, we don't either. So, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, you know, a little bit of background information? Uh, sure. Um, I'm a junior, a senior by hours, but I'm a junior by years at the University of Kansas. Uh, I'm a theater major. Cool. All right. So, I guess a good place to start would be, you know, what is the underground lake? What is the significance of it? I know uh, you went into it a little bit in one of your editorials and you mentioned it every now and again, but why did you choose that name for your section? Um, uh, well, what happened was first I had submitted a regular editorial, which was the Lost Day series that went up there. And then when Nicole asked me to get, if I wanted my own column, I uh, went through a whole bunch of names and most of the ones that I wanted were already taken or were about to be taken. And I was just looking I was I had I was reading Sorcerer's Stone at the time, and I came across when Harry and Hagrid were in the uh, in Gringotts, and they mentioned this underground lake, and I was thinking about how all the lakes are connected in Harry Potter, and I guess that was kind of my whole theme behind the column is that everything is connected somehow, and that's wow, that's pretty it. cool. So today we'll be discussing your latest editorial, The Underground Lake, number 32, Hogwarts, Year 7, Why Go Back. Now, I thought this was a pretty interesting piece due to the fact that Harry himself said he wouldn't be going back to Hogwarts. So for a little bit of an outline, why should Harry go back for his seventh year? Does he need to? Um, yes, I, I definitely think Harry has to go back um, for many reasons. One, you know, Harry and Hermione and Ron, they're, they're pretty clever, but I don't think they know nearly enough to be able to, one, destroy all the Horcruxes. And I think there's a whole lot more that's going to be going on in Hogwarts in Year 7, uh, which is actually going to be coming up in my next editorial. But um, I, I think he has to go back. I think he's got to look in the pensive. I think he's got to talk to Dumbledore's portrait. Um, and those are just a few of the things that... What few of the reasons I feel like he needs to go back. You kind of laid out here what he's going to do, I guess, leading up to his seventh year, and then if he actually does go back to Hogwarts. The first thing that you talked about was going back to the Dursleys' home until his birthday. Um, could you elaborate You know what you think is going to happen? Is anything specific going to take place um, during, the, I guess, maybe that period of time that he's um, going to be yes. there? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, we still haven't... I thought we were told we were supposed to find out what Dudley... What happened to Dudley when the Dementors attacked him in Order of the Phoenix. So I'm still waiting for that. But mostly the reason that I, I know he's got to go to the Dursleys is... It's a selfish reason. I really feel like there has to be some kind of closure with Harry and the Dursleys. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Petunia if they're just going to stay evil all the time. But I would really like it. Personally, I would love for Harry to be able to read the letter that Dumbledore wrote to Petunia back when he left him on the doorstep. Because I think she's got it stashed somewhere. And I, I, basically, I just want them to have some kind of conversation at the end that gives closure to the Dursleys. Because he's not going to go back again, obviously. Right. Were you taken a little bit back when you found out on uh, 
Joe Rowling's sight that Petunia doesn't have any sort of magical ability. Yeah, because I kind of poked a hole in one of my theories about her being a closet broomstick, um, that she has powers, she just chooses not to use them. So that that kind of put a huge hole in one of my thoughts. I thought that somehow they were going to get attacked and she would have some kind of latent magical ability, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. But uh, I just I, I just feel like there needs to be some kind of closure, basically. Right. Something else that you said you were looking forward to seeing was Harry picking up on more of the little details as opposed to having Hermione do it for him. Apart from the pretty obvious Regulus Black connection, what are some of the, if any, finer points you're waiting for Harry to catch on to? Um, well, I think one of the ones I mentioned was about the, uh, and the thing is he'll need Hermione for this, but it is the runes on uh, the pensive. And because I think Dumbledore has left a lot of clues for Harry still in the pensive. I don't know what happens to thoughts after the person dies, their memories, if they just stay in the pensive or how that works. But I, the pensive is still there and I like the pensive and I want to see the pensive. And I think probably written on it is how it's used. And so I think Harry needs to figure that out. But mostly Harry, there's a lot of stuff going on and I'm thinking Harry just needs to kind of uh, pick up stuff a lot faster than he has been. You also mentioned in here that, uh, and you said that you've said it before, that Dumbledore is showing Harry how to play chess with time. What exactly did you mean by that? And are we going to see any more of that in the upcoming book? Um, Basically that metaphor, I kind of screwed it up when I wrote it and I didn't bother to change it, but I meant he was kind of playing chess against time. That Dumbledore has to make all these moves that he can't do anything with for years. Stuff like taking Harry and giving him to the Dursleys, knowing that basically Harry's got to wait there for 10, 11 years before he can come to Hogwarts. And and he has to make all kinds of decisions now that won't come into play for years and years. Like, just stuff like with Peter Pettigrew and all kinds of other things. Uh, and so I think the reason that Dumbledore had to die, which of course was sad, was to show Harry that he needs to sort of watch and wait. Because as I've said before in my editorials, if Dumbledore wanted to get away from Draco Malfoy, he could have done it. Cool. And you just, in your previous answer, you talked about the pensive and maybe what lies in there in terms of Dumbledore's memories. Do you think that, you mentioned destroying the ring and Harry possibly going in and seeing how Dumbledore did that, do you think that's going to be able to tell him how to destroy all of the Horcruxes, or just a few in particular? Um, just a few in particular. I kind of had a theory that somebody else had, too, that I thought was interesting. That the reason that Dumbledore's hand was all messed up during Six was that he actually had the ring and he put it through the veil. I don't know if anybody's talked about that. But that's kind of where I got the whole De- Voldemort going through the veil will kill him theory. And so I was just thinking that, because to me, the only Horcrux that Harry knows that he has destroyed was the diary. And since I don't think he has any Basilisk fangs just hanging around somewhere, I think he's going to need some help learning how to destroy him. And you think maybe that was a little bit more by accident than anything else that he destroyed that one? Yeah, because I think it was just, when you read it and when you watch the movie too, that it was just instinct that the fang was sitting there. And it was all about the book. So he knew Poison Fang, book is controlling this guy. 
put two and two together. Okay, and I guess kind of a wrap-up question. Um, we didn't really talk about the Godric's Hollow part of your editorial. You said, obviously, Harry is going to be going back there, and that a future editorial is going to be written about this. Can you give us a little bit of a preview as to what you're going to talk about there? Um, yeah, Godric's Hollow, I've been thinking about a lot just because I've wanted to go, I wanted to go there in book six. But basically, I, I want to see the scene of the crime where everything happened. And hopefully there's some details that'll corroborate some of our theories. Maybe there's a hidden Horcrux there. I don't know. I'm just thinking that He's going to go there, and obviously there's something very important hidden there that nobody has thought of, and I haven't thought of it either. But I, I just, it's more that I just really want to go to see Godric's Hollow and find out what's really there and what actually happened mm-hmm. there. And uh, I think we're running out of time, but Brandon, do you have any last-minute theories you'd like to share with us? Any? Um, theories, no. I did want to... Uh, Say, just because I've gotten a lot of emails about it recently, the fact that we've been talking about my most recent editorial, but that was like a month and a half ago. And I, I just want to let everybody know that I have written one and I just sent it to my editor. And I've got four more that I'm writing now about uh, Slughorn and Draco and Ron and Peter Pettigrew and where he was. I guess that's the one thing I could be talking about is, is Peter Pettigrew and why he was gone for pretty much all of book six. And most of book five, and what I think he's up to. But I haven't put that much thought into it yet, but that's what I'm working on now. Well, that's awesome. We'll definitely be looking forward to reading those. And uh, thank you again for spending a few minutes with us this week. And no problem. Just really, just getting the show on the road for this section, Absolutely. because we, we've been really excited about it, and uh, I think it turned out great. Well, thank so, you. Yeah, thanks as, again. As you say, uh, thanks for uh, setting the wheels in motion. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You did a great job. Thanks a lot. Thanks. No problem. All right, so there you have it. And if you have any ideas for a future MuggleCast editorial discussion, please send them in to MuggleCast at staff.mugglenet.com and be sure to put in the subject line, Editorial Discussion Idea. All right, so now it's time for another new segment on MuggleCast. This week we are premiering What If, the MuggleCast segment where we take a look at something in the Harry Potter series that... If it was changed, if the tiniest little detail had changed, what would have happened? We got a good one for you this week. This one was sent in by Carrie. And Carrie writes, If Slughorn had given Ron the Half-Blood Prince's potion book instead of Harry, what would have happened? They both needed their... It's important to mention, they both needed books. They both needed potions books because neither of them expected to... I'm sorry, Defense Against, or whatever it was, potions. uh, Because neither of them expected to be in the owl class for it. Um, so they both needed to borrow their books, otherwise they would have bought them in advance. And it's important to mention that Slughorn handed out, you know, them both rental copies that were in the cupboard, and Harry got the Half-Blood Princess. Luck, Luck of the, the draw. draw. Um, <laughs> well, do you it? think that the story could have worked out had Ron had it? I mean, obviously, Harry would have been more in the dark on what was going on. Do you think Ron would have told him, or would he ke- have kept it secret? Well, that's what... No, I think... Ron and Harry. Ron shares more with Harry. <laughs> I think Ron and Harry's relationship at that point would have been, well, is where Ron would have told him. I think mm-hmm. Ron would have shared because it is really interesting, and Ron wouldn't have thought about it. He wouldn't have thought it through. The thing is, he would have just I'm been like, "Harry, look what I found." And I'm not sure Ron would actually take the initiative to follow the directions. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. I mean, I th- I think also Ron would 
show more to Harry than Harry would to Ron. I think it's just a personality thing. Um, so it wouldn't be like Ron has all these secret spells and he's doing excellent in potions and you know, all this stuff. I th- I think he would have shared with Harry, especially like even if he didn't, even if he regretted it later. But do you think Slughorn's perception of Harry would have been a little bit less as a result? Like maybe he wouldn't have developed the closeness that he did. I think Harry oh, Potter definitely. is still Harry Potter. He's still the boy who lived, and Slughorn likes famous people no matter what. I think his praise for him in class might not have been so outstanding, but at the same time, I think he still would have tried to stalk Harry like he did just because he's he is the boy who lives and Voldemort is back. I think Harry's still famous enough, be it he's good at potions or not, you know, and Slughorn had all the memories of Lily, which were just enhanced by Harry's knack to potions. I mean, I think Slughorn still would have made a point to be around Harry. And Ron would have ended up with the... Good luck, Potion. Felix Reese's, yes. All right, so that does do it for MuggleCast 31. That was a longer show than normal, and uh, all future shows will probably not be as long as this one. It's just we got a little carried away with our chapter-by-chapter discussion. I'm sure you all understand. Next week on MuggleCast, we will premiere our Theory of the Week segment, where we pull a popular theory out of the MuggleNet COS forums and put our spin on it. And then we'll be happy to read and respond to your listener rebuttals on the air. Then don't forget, chapter by chapter, we'll be looking at chapters 4 and 5. So make sure you read up on them and have them ready for next week. That's your homework, don't forget. And to the delight of podcasting fans world over, MuggleNets and MuggleCast's favorite Brit, Jamie Lawrence, will <clears throat> most likely be returning next week. For MuggleCast, he's on a break. He IM'd me the other day and said, Hey, mate, guess what? I'm going to be on a break starting March 17th. So I said, Okay, dude, that's sweet. Come on down. So hopefully we'll have him on for at least three or four shows starting next week on episode 32 of MuggleCast. Oh, and by the way, in case you're wondering where Ben went, um, <laughs> let's, spend a, let's spend a minute on this. Um, ben suddenly got... Uh, attack of the allergies and if you can't hear it in my voice I'm pretty congested too Laura's not yeah. feeling well I'm like I've been sitting Either. here popping cough drops like Dumbledore pops his lemon drops so Which is Ben has no excuse hey who gave you that line yes I completely I completely credit you Micah yeah, okay. I completely credit you Good night. oh wait are we gonna say our names oh yeah yeah so <laughs> I almost forgot <laughs> <laughs> So once again, so once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric. <laughs> I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Micah Tannenbaum. <laughs> now we will see everyone next week for episode 32. Good night. <laughs>